Are you kidding me? You know, through this whole COVID-19 pandemic, we find ourselves, all of us, I don't care what situation you're in, all of us have more time on our hands than we're certainly used to or would like to have. You know, it's a unique time. It gives us time to think about things. It gives us time to uh, review things. It gives us time to look at old videos that we haven't looked at in years because, well, we're bored out of our minds. But I wonder what they're watching at Dion Waiters' house these days. The reason I say that is the newest member of the Los Angeles Lakers, whenever we get back, he hasn't played a game with them yet. He was just signed before this pandemic put a screeching halt onto our professional sports and our sports schedules in general. But Dion Waiters has made news this week, and before I get into what I have to say about the former Miami Heat and Oklahoma City off-guard, who again is now the newest member of the Los Angeles Lakers, I hand the microphone over to Chris because I'm very interested to what Chris has to say. Chris is the one that alerted me to this, and I have been pinging off the walls about this, but before I released the hounds on Dion Waiters and what the stupidity that's coming out of his mouth I hand the microphone over to Chris to find out what he has to add to this story before I get my teeth into Dion Waiters, <laughs> sir. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, you know, I, I'm really excited to hear this. Yeah, I sent you a list of uh, ideas for us to talk about this week, and I saw that one. I thought, oh, Mike's not going to like that one. And then, you know, at the risk of raising your blood pressure even more, I just wanted to let you know I found some other... Uh, former, in this case, NBA player who also does not have Michael Jordan in his top five. Oh, no. And his name is the Spider John Sally. Oh, and, fuck. And, Spider Sally. And he put his top five in order. Oh, good. Magic, Bird, Kareem, Hakeem Olajuwon, and Kevin McHale is apparently better than Michael Jordan. Uh, he put those as his top five. And on top of that, he also went so far as to call Isaiah Thomas... That creepy weirdo, the best he ever played with. Remember, John Sally was on the 96 Bulls, who won at the time a record 72 games. That's right. When Michael Jordan's at his absolute best. And John Sally played on that team, and he still said that Isaiah Thomas was the best player, who wasn't even on his top five list. And he even tried to justify it. He even called himself a Michael Jordan fan, but... He said that the Detroit Pistons, when he played for them against Jordan, knew how to consistently stop Michael Jordan. Yeah, but they beat the shit out of him. Yeah. And he said, well, he said the reason that they knew how to stop him was he said they were able to force MJ to the left with the ball. And if they did that, he wouldn't pass it and would often settle for poor jumpers. He also called Michael Jordan's defense overrated and a product of a hand-checking era. So... We've got two guys, John Sally and Dion Waiters, both think Michael Jordan is not a top five NBA player because Allen Iverson and Kevin McHale are better than Michael Jordan. Sir, your thoughts on these wonderfully credible opinions. Yeah, okay. Before, Spider Sally had Magic, Bird, McHale, Elijahwan, and who? Akeem Elijahwan. Oh, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, okay. Well, that's... that's that, that one's fair. Yeah, okay. I'm, okay, all right. All right. First of all, Spider Sally played on some really good basketball teams and played a uh, periphery role, <laughs> yeah. let's just say. He played on the bad boys in the 80s that won 
in 89 and 90. And before you get all excited about that, in 89, they played a Laker team that uh, lost Byron Scott. Byron Scott and Magic Johnson were the Lakers' starting backcourt combo in, in 1989. And both of them, Scott and Magic Johnson, both got hurt in game one of that NBA Finals. So you take away Magic Johnson and Byron Scott, and you have David Rivers from Notre Dame as your lead point guard in the NBA Finals, yeah, you're not going to win the freaking Finals. When you have David Rivers from Notre Dame as your lead point guard, you ain't going to win, okay? So that was soured right there. I'm sorry. I don't give a shit what anybody says. 1990, they won again. They won back-to-back. In 1990, they won against the Clyde Drexler-led Portland Trailblazers. Kevin Duckworth was the starting center. Who gives a shit? Okay, so there, you've got two championships. Congratulations. Then they break up the Pistons, and Sally finds his way onto the Chicago Bulls roster, as Chris mentioned. He wins another ring there. Then, at the very end of his career, people may or may not know this, but Sally found his way onto the Kobe and Shaq L.A. Lakers teams as a bench player, fringe player, uh, you know, a body bag. So, Spider Sally... I got to tell you, with all respect, go fuck yourself. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. But it's still not as bad as Dion Waiters. I am just livid about this. Now, I think first and foremost, before I get started on this, when you don't include Michael Jordan as a top five player in the NBA, you're either jealous or scared or stupid. Because Michael Jordan maybe isn't the greatest scorer in NBA history like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was, or maybe he's not the best uh, free-throw shooter, or maybe he's not. But here, what he is, is a six-time for six-time NBA champion. What he is, is a six-time Defensive Player of the Year award. And what he is, is a six-time MVP of the fucking league. So Michael Jordan, love him or loathe him, Michael Jordan deserves to be on everybody's Top five list of the NBA. Now, what really gets me going about Deion Waiters, first of all, he's a bum. Second of all, he's a has-been. Third of all, he's a never-was. And another four, another one is he's a never-will-be. He thinks that Jordan is not one of the top five NBA players of all time. His top five are Allen, I love practice Iverson, LeBron James, which I don't have a problem with, Shaquille O'Neal, okay, Shaquille won uh, three championships in Los Angeles, congratulations. Kobe Bryant won five NBA championships, and Kevin Garnett, are you kidding me? Garnett won one championship with the 2008 Boston Celtics. Where is, on this list, where is Kareem? Where is Bill Russell? Where is Wilt Chamberlain? Where is Magic Johnson? Where is Larry Bird? And first and foremost, where is Michael Jordan. If somebody was to put a gun to my head, my top five would be, in no particular order, after Michael Jordan. Jordan is one, without a doubt. You've got to find a place on that team for Bill Russell. Nine championships in 11 years. I don't care if the product was watered down. I don't care what. You win nine times out of 11 years in anything, you deserve to be at the top spot. So I've got Jordan. I've got Bill Russell. I've got Larry Bird, I've got Magic Johnson, and I, as my fifth player, I'm probably going with, hmm, put a gun to my head. I think you've got to find a place somewhere in there, obviously, for Wilt Chamberlain. 
Will Chamberlain, the numbers that he produced, and I'm not talking about the 25,000 broads he slept with. I'm talking about the all-time, you know, at, at the time of his death, he was the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. He is not anymore. He's been dead for a while. He was an unbelievable rebounder in his day. And remember this, he played on some very bad Philadelphia Warriors, San Francisco Warriors, um, and, and he was always up against the Boston Celtics and Bill Russell and the Boston Celtics teams that had not only Bill Russell, but they had Jerry Cousy, they had Bill Sharman, they had Casey Jones, they had John Havlicek, they had Bill, Bill uh, excuse me, they had uh, Don Nelson on them, they had uh, Satch Sanders, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And so there was no way, regardless of how great Will Chamberlain was, he wasn't going to beat those great Boston Celtics teams one on five. It wasn't going to happen. So again, I am just incredulous that Dion Waiters is that fucking stupid that he would go out and not include a Michael Jordan who's six for six in finals, do not include a Bill Russell who won nine championships in 11 years, and on your team you've got two limp dicks like Allen Iverson and Kevin Garnett? Are you kidding me? Kevin Garnett was better when he was at Farragut Academy in Chicago. That's a high school, guys. He's originally from South Carolina. I made Kevin Garnett. I, 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 okay, I, I'm maybe stepping over my bounds, but I will tell you this. When I was on the radio working for Ron Barr's network 100 years ago, Kevin Garnett was in high school, and Kevin Garnett played at a place called Farragut Academy in Chicago. And he was outstanding, no question. No question. When you're the first overall draft pick, of any leagues, any leagues year, any, you know, any league, any time that you're the number one overall pick, you're special. Well, maybe not. Okay. I, yeah, not when you're talking about uh, uh, Jamarcus Russell or you're talking about, you know, Ryan Leaf or whatever. But generally speaking, when you're the number one overall pick, you are a stud. And I'm not taking that away from Garnett. He is rightfully is going into the Hall of Fame you know, later in July, along with Kobe and, and uh, Tim Duncan. But Kevin Garnett and your top five all-time in the NBA? Come on, guys. Dion Waters, somebody should take your man card away. You are fucking kidding yourself. You have no history of what the NBA is talking about. You'd be better putting the NBA logo Jerry West on your roster when you don't include guys like <laughs> Michael Jordan and Bill Russell? You know, come on. I know that he's got, uh, Spider Sally has got some, you know, he's got some loyalty because he used to get his head knocked in all the time by Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale was a bulldozer out there, folks. Don't kid yourself. Bill Lambeer, when in the late 80s, when Detroit and, and Boston were going head-to-head -head all the time in the Eastern Conference Finals, Bill Lambeer took a rash of shit for people being out there because he was a big bully. Yes, he was. But he was a big bully because Boston had their own big bullies in the form of Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and at one time a guy by the name, Boston fans will remember this, Cornbread Maxwell. They were out there. You know, the WWE could have learned something, in my, in my opinion, could have learned something from watching the wrestling underneath the basket when you had the old Detroit Pistons playing the old Boston Celtics in the 80s, and it was just a 
and I hate to use this analogy because it reminds me of idiots like Kelvin Winslow Jr., but it was a war underneath those baskets of trying to get position for rebounds when you had those people that I just mentioned, and none of them, none of them, none of them, none of them were choir boys. None of them. They're all criminals. So I just really have problems with people that are stupid and they do not understand the history of the game of basketball when you don't include guys like Michael Jordan and Bill Russell on your all-time top five NBA list and you include on your list guys like Kevin Garnett and especially Allen Iverson who did nothing, nothing in his NBA career He made it to one NBA Finals, lost in 2001 to the Los Angeles Lakers, never got close again, and then was more famous for his shenanigans off the court when he was at Georgetown or when he was growing up in Newport News, Virginia, or when he was trying to resurrect his career with the Denver Nuggets. Come on, guys, wake the hell up. Yeah, and so just uh, full disclosure, this was in an Instagram live chat with uh, the great sixth man, uh, Lou Williams. By the way, before I mention that, I always think of the end of the uh, Dennis Leary roast, which of all the roasts, that was the first Comedy Central one. Of course, Dennis Leary's from Boston, so a lot of his Boston friends there. And uh, it was just an average roast, but I really love uh, the end where, you know, the man of the hour, whoever the main person is, they come up and they kind of get their revenge and they make fun of everyone else. Dennis Theories was probably my favorite one ever because a lot of it was his friends like telling cool stories about Lenny Clark and Mm -hmm. some of these other Boston guys that all grew up together. And it was really interesting. And it was funny because he said uh, one of his favorite things, they were sitting around a bunch of the Boston guys back in the, oh, geez, what, the 90s when it was, whenever this was going on. Yeah, like you said, like the Pistons and the Celtics. And uh, Colin Quinn was one of them. Then he was watching... And they just hate, they all hated Bill Lambeer, of course. And so like Colin Quinn one time, like went up to the TV and was like, ah, Lambeer, suck my dick. And he was like, put, put his, he literally put his penis like on the screen, was trying to like make it look like Bill Lambeer was sucking his dick. And right then, I think it was, they, they were at Dennis Leary's house, I think. And then his wife walks in and looks and this oh, no. and Colin Quinn's like putting his dick on the TV in a, in a man's face. And, and so Dennis Leary just said, yeah, it's really tough to like. You know, tell your wife about how yeah. how heterosexual your friends are. Yeah, when, really. Um, when that's going. But anyway, Lou Williams. Too, I don't know. I, I think these guys might have been sitting around uh, partaking in some certain substances oh, here. Okay. Now, Lou Williams did his top five, and he did have Michael Jordan in there, and he put his in no particular order. But he, <laughs> this was just a weird one. So he, the thing is, he also chose Allen Iverson for his top five. What which, is it with Iverson? I don't know. But these these guys clearly, none of the guys are picking anyone like a Bill Russell or anyone from before they were watching as kids. Because they don't know exactly. So they don't know the history of the game, which is really disappointing. But anyway, so they're picking just clearly just modern guys. Right. So he, in no order whatsoever, picked Allen Iverson, Shaq, Michael Jordan, LeBron, and in the end, so he picked someone else. I'll tell you here. And then he forgot about his real number five, and they reminded me. Oh yeah, sorry, I meant to put Kobe as my number five, but for some reason, originally his his number five was Penny Hardaway. Oh my God! Which I mean, even if you like Penny Hardaway, he's not exactly Will Chamberlain. I'm sorry, no matter how bad you want. Penny's that. done nothing. I know these. I think they're just guys who were personalities, and they maybe they found interesting. Maybe they liked when they were younger, and maybe. Maybe because Allen Iverson was known for playing on teams where 
he was like the only like he was like Dominic Hasek. He's like the only guy on the team or he's doing everything. And so maybe you but... know what I mean? Like it's like that, I think, is part of it. But at least he included Michael Jordan. Uh, so anyway, that was that was weird. But that's what it was. It was two guys sitting around. And I think it was said best by a, a website here. I had it here. I think it was called oh I don't have it now it was like called like the Daily Upper Decker or something and they called it, they they said it uh, as Dion Waiters has clearly smoked himself stupid. Yeah, I, I I you know when you are drawing a large NBA check every Tuesday during the season I think it should be mandatory that these guys have an idea and a sense of history to the NBA. Because Lou Williams, who I think is a fine basketball player and a contributing member to a very good Los Angeles Clippers team that I hope again to see later on this season, and and I, you know, I, I don't, I, maybe I do mean a little ill will, but guys like Dion Waiters and and um, Williams, they deserve and they, and they 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 have the right to express their opinion. That's what makes North America great. But let's have some real let's have a reality check here, guys. I'm old. I get that. But I also know that Lou Williams and Dion Waiters and a lot of other limp dicks in the NBA would not be enjoying the kind of lifestyle that the NBA affords these guys without the sacrifices made by guys like Bill Russell and guys like Wilt Chamberlain that brought the game to some of the heights that we enjoy watching them play at today. And think about it another way. And I know this and I know this firsthand from my experience with my days as an intern. I do know for a fact that the NBA was close to being a non-factor and was close to being uh, not a league anymore in the early 80s. David Stern had just come on as, as uh, commissioner of the league in 1984, but prior to that, they had a guy by the name of Lawrence O'Brien, who they named the championship trophy after, and he obviously had done some good things, but at the end of his reign as the commissioner of the NBA, the ratings were at the lowest they'd have ever been. We had a huge uh, marijuana problem then with the Golden State Warriors, uh, and the and the organization and the city of Oakland, people were going up to the upper rafters of the old Oracle Arena at the time, and they were just smoking doobies up there, and and they weren't there to watch basketball. They were there to stay out of the whatever inclement weather that was going on in Oakland, and it was a joke. And I'm telling you, folks, without Larry Bird and Magic Johnson coming in, breathing some fresh life into the NBA breathing some personality into the NBA, and then Jordan comes along with Barkley in 84 and helped move it farther still. But realistically, folks, and I hope, I, I really wish I could find out if Lou Williams and Dion Waiters are listening to this, but without Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, and Charles Barkley in the early 80s, and that 1984 Olympic team that was coached by Bobby Knight with how many future NBA stars on it. Without that, in the early 80s, we may not have the NBA today as we know it because of what Magic and Bird especially, but then later contributions again from Jordan and Barkley. We would not have the NBA like we know it today without those 
forefathers, if you will, to the current generation of NBA players. Without those four players, I don't know if we would enjoy seeing what LeBron James does on a nightly on a nightly basis for the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Miami Heat, and obviously now with the Los Angeles Lakers. I just don't know. A lot of tribute, you know, when when Kobe was going, we were going through all of those memorials and testimonials and all those things when Kobe passed on the morning of January 26th and all those endless, the next 10 days were testimonials and memorials to Kobe Bryant. But at that same time, people were also giving those testimonials and memorials to David Stern. David Stern did an awful lot for the NBA, and I truly believe that the NBA Championships Trophy should be renamed the David J. Stern Trophy because David Stern inherited a mess. The NBA NBA could only sell their product in the early 80s on the old USA Network. They didn't have a contract with CBS, and when CBS did come on, they did what they called tape delay the games, and the games would get played at 10.30 at night. Wow. So David Stern, along with Bird and Magic and Jordan and Charles Barkley, saved the NBA to as what we know it as today. And when you have limp dicks like Dion Waiters, not including, you know, if you had a post-1980 Mount Everest of the NBA of who it should be on, it'd be those four players, and then they'd probably have to put an addendum for, for David Stern. But those five people did so much for the NBA People in this generation don't understand, don't recognize, and are too stupid to go read and do some research and find out what these people meant to the NBA when you include guys. And again, but Kevin Garnett, and I love Kobe Bryant, but Kobe Bryant isn't a forefather of the NBA. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, and David J. Stern are the guys that we should be talking about saving the NBA from the 80s, and that is the reason we have the game today that so many people are enjoying and now run by a legitimate commissioner in Mr. Adam Silver. Well said, Mike. I know that's a passionate thing for you, and I appreciate that. And I think that history is so important, whether it's sports or otherwise, and a lot of people, just if they didn't grow up with it, they don't know it, they don't go back and look it up, and they don't get taught it. There was some coach in the NFL, I think, I think it was John Gruden, who has started taking, I think they were he was doing it every week, he'd sit the guys down, okay, we're going to learn about like yeah. Jim Brown, or someone right. like someone you should know about, either the history of our team or just the league in general, who, like, who existed and was unbelievable before you were born, and you don't even know them, but they you know, helped your life be the way it is today by making the sport great and making it be something where you could go and earn a paycheck and and do really well in life. So history is so, so important. I'm glad you pointed all that out. And yeah, these guys, at least they should say, oh, like my top five from my lifetime or my... My career or, yeah, my generation. Yeah, they shouldn't say all time. That's just disrespectful and ignorant. So I'm glad you pointed all that out. But yes, uh, obviously, I never would have even considered that Michael Jordan wouldn't be included in someone's list. I think to do that, maybe it's just that you're really stupid. Maybe you're just looking for attention. Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Thank you. for And thank you for allowing me to do that. Now, as I control things and we get back to uh, normal, regularly programming here on Unscripted, episode 494, we've got some other things to talk about. Um, I just... Um, I'm going to start um, with this before I get to my buddy, the former coach of the Floodplain Flames. 
Um, this week there was a, or late last week, or maybe it was maybe it was over the weekend. I'm not quite sure, but there was a up and coming NASCAR driver by the name of Kyle Larson that was involved in um, some com- something online, uh, a virtual thing where they were, I don't know if they were racing cars. I, I don't know what the whole parameter is. All I know, f- the, 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 the gist of it is, is that this young man, uh, the only driver that I know of, of Japanese-American descent, that's unique in a, of itself. But this young man by the name of Kyle Larson, I believe and he's in his mid-20s, uh, uh, unfortunately during this virtual uh, thing, um, uh, said the N-word and repeated the N-word. Um, everybody that was on this call heard it. Some chastised him for it. Ultimately, what happened, the um, what happened from it is that a, m- a bunch of the major sponsors that sponsor this car driver, including McDonald's, um, as soon as it came out that he had used this word, um, a lot of uh, his sponsors, again, including McDonald's, which was his number one, they had the big golden arch on the hood of his car, this guy was supposedly very good. I don't know anything about him until, unfortunately, this happened. But there's another uh, NASCAR driver, coincidentally enough, by the name of Bubba. Uh, Bubba Wallace has come out this week and said that he believes that Kyle Larson... Now, Kyle Larson not only lost all his sponsors this week, he was also fired from NASCAR. And Bubba Wallace comes out this week and says that this that he believes that Kyle Larson deserves a second chance after using this racial slur. And this is kind of a segue into Bill, the racist and bully Peters. But before we get into him, um, I'm wondering your opinion. I don't know if you know anything about Kyle Larson. I don't. I've done a little research this week. That's where I found out that he's a, a Japanese-American descent um, obviously he's accomplished a great amount of things in the NASCAR world, but everybody dropped him like a, a lead balloon when this, when he, when it came out that he had, had, uh, uttered the N word. And, um, but I thought it was, you know, newsworthy to talk about it because obviously in this day and age, we are really being watched carefully as to what we say. And then for one of his colleagues, Bubba Wallace, to come out, a fellow NASCAR driver, and say that Kyle Larson deserves a check second chance after uttering that racial slur. There's a lot of things in, in the world that uh, I say and I probably shouldn't, and I get told a lot that I should probably clean it up, but there are some things that I won't say, and that's one of them. And I'd be interested to see... Let me get to this before I ask, before I get Chris involved. And the reason I do this... Uh, Bill the race, I give him a nickname now, Bill the racist bully Peters, who was in trouble earlier this year and resigned his position as the head coach of the Calgary Flames before he was ultimately going to get fired because of comments that he made in regard to a former player that he coached back in the AHL 10 years ago, and this player being Akeem Alou. Bill Peters is employed again. The the, uh, KHLs, and I can't say the name and I'm not even going to try, the automobile parts, that's, I don't know what it is. And Chris is very good at names, and he's not even going to try. But anyway, the KHL's team has hired the former Hurricanes and Flame heads coach. 
Hakeem Alou came out this week and said that he's okay with it because he believes in second chances. So as I pass the microphone to Chris, I want your opinions on Kyle Larson. Do you believe Bubba Wallace is right in that Kyle Larson deserves a second chance after uttering the word that he uttered last week? And do you believe that Bill Peters is right uh, or the KHL team is right in giving Bill Peters a second chance after what he did back in November of 2019 when he was still employed by the Calgary Flames when the story came out that he used the N-word in dealing with Akeem Alou and he also was, uh, I guess, story has it that he... Uh, he beat some players or you know, hit some players. I don't think he beat them, but I think that he hit them. Is it right that Bill Peters now gets a second chance at coaching a professional team, this time in the KHL? Uh, and I can't say the name, but Bill Peters is back. We don't know when, but he has been hired as a new coach in the Continental Hockey League. Well, I'm, I have to say I'm happy that these uh, guys are being fairly magnanimous here and Bubba Wallace is the only African-American driver in NASCAR. So, you know, obviously he's going to be interviewed for this story. And of course, Akeem Alou was central to the Bill Peters story. And both guys said the same thing. They said, you know, we believe in second chances. So, uh, you know, I like to say I do too. I, I have to say that you know, what we've always said, at least what I've always said when we've encountered stories like this, is, you know, we we want to give people second chances, I think, and we want to understand that, you know, maybe society changes. Like, if this story was about a 90-year-old man, right, who said the N-word, I would be like, okay, like, I don't, it doesn't mean it's excusable or right, and you should still know better, but it's like, okay, like, you, you know, from a different time or something, maybe. But when you have a 27-year-old kid from California, it's one... Like, where would he even start saying that at that age? Like, he was born in the 90s. Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, where where did you... He wasn't even, like, sentient till the 2000s, basically. Right. Where did you find this? And even if you do, even if you do, even if you are saying this in your personal life, how do you not know to not say it on a business conference call? Yeah. 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 Thank you. That is, I mean, that is, you know, you know, I think it's bad enough that people are just walking around saying the N-word willy-nilly, but I mean, that is impossible to believe. Yeah. And then you said he repeated it. He didn't just say it once. It didn't slip out just once. I think he said it twice yes, or something, that's right? that's correct. That's correct. My understanding, that's, yes. Okay, and, and even if that's the case then, like, no matter what, I how I think of this, I get more questions. Like, okay, so even if you do say that in general, and you don't know it's wrong to say on a business conference call, how then have you made it this far to being a 27-year-old adult with a job with an alleged net worth of $12 million? How have you gotten that far without it coming up? I, like, I, like there's, there's no yeah. way to answer these questions, unless, unless we ask him and he tells us. I'm not even sure if he knows. How... I, this is one of the most baffling things ever to me. A 27-year-old kid in the year 2020, born and raised in California of all places. Not, not like the Deep South or right. some stereotypical down, place. Down, down, down. Yeah. yeah, not that. Like California, like which is supposed to be the most progressive, mm -hmm. you know, left-wing, tolerant, you know, everything. I don't, I don't have... I, and, you know, you said earlier this week that you're not often speechless. 
I'm pretty much speechless here because there's no realistic answer. I, you know, I get frustrated how people kind of can fall through the cracks. Like you have guys like you have, I remember James Brown, the, the, the singer, you know, was just basically a head case, which yep. just you couldn't like go give him a nine to five job. He's just a lunatic who you have to have handlers. Okay. Pushing him. There. Okay. The stage is this way. Go out there and sing and dance around. And then we handle you and take care of you again. Or like Cindy Lauper or something like these people that are just, they're lucky that they made it as artists. Otherwise they'd be like in right. a sanitarium or something. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like I, I get it if you get to that point, but this is not a guy who should be surrounded by handlers all the time. He's 27. He's just a race car driver, and I don't get it. I, I don't have a clue how he has gotten this far, how he could then say it and not be aware of it. it and it didn't just slip out once. He said it multiple Like, if you just kind of are, like, somehow didn't catch yourself, which is hard enough to believe, and then say it multiple times, I don't get it. I, I don't know. This kid has something wrong with him that he, oh, yeah. even if you're the most racist person in the world, you should look at this and be like, yeah, that guy needs to use his head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's just like, it doesn't make any sense. I don't get, and especially for, and, and I know he's born and raised in the States, but he does have a background. His middle name is Miata, a Japanese name, right? So he does, ha you know, he has a background of not just some white right. guy. Yeah. It's not like he his, has an ethnicity background. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. not like, you know, he's, uh, you know, he's not exactly from a, you know, a 100%, you know, German heritage here. So I don't get what this guy is doing here. I, I'm sorry, I know I'm just rambling on, but I can't make heads or tails of this guy. Uh, I don't like when people fall through the cracks to this point. This guy should have been found out a long time ago because you know what it is? so easy. It's so easy these days. People say one thing slightly not perfectly politically correct. Oh, that person's a racist. Right. Now they're just written off. They're just, they said one thing slightly wrong. It doesn't have to be the N-word. It can be something like, uh, I don't know, questionable. And then, oh, now he's a piece of shit forever. And I hate that. Yeah. But then you get guys, and then I always see that and I think, well, you know, there's not that many people that are just like true, just racist to the core, infinitely racist. Just that's all they think about is being racist all the time. But then you get a guy like this just casually saying the N-word on business conference calls. I don't know, but screw this guy. Ridiculous. I think this guy should have to spend some time away from NASCAR. Well, I think he's going to be forced to take some well, time. Well, no, away. I. but I mean, I, I'm appreciative that Bubba Wallace comes out and supports him in regard to that he thinks he should have a second chance. But I think that second chance should come a considerable time down the road after he's had some help and he's had some rehabilitation and maybe he needs, he needs some help, but, uh, I don't think it should be a return right away to NASCAR. I think there should be a lengthy suspension involved with this at it, the very least. Well, yeah. And again, and no he's lost all his sponsors. Yeah. No so. one's going to want to touch him. He was fired. And so, but again, like if you're a 110 year old man and you used to hang out back in, you know, the, 50s or something in the south and you used to like well you know talk mean uh you know to black people or something that's you know that at least you can kind of see but like a 27 year old guy who's never seen the world like right. that exactly great point. no 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 excuse sorry real quickly before we get out of here and i think this has to be reported because when this happened back in november of 2017 especially Canadians, because this guy was part of our sports culture in Canada for an awful long time. And I'm talking about former Blue Jays and Phillies Hall of Famer Roy Halladay. But I was very disappointed to hear that the N 
TSB reported earlier this week, they've reported some findings from Halliday's crash, again from November of 2017, that Halliday had amphetamine levels about 10 times therapeutic levels in his bloodstream, along with a high level of morphine and an antidepressant at the time of his airplane crash. He also was doing some uh, daredevil or some maneuvers. He was or stunting. Some, he was stunting, yeah. And obviously he he had some help. I mean, in his system, with, with everything that he had in his system. And, um, you know, we went on, and I went on for a long time mourning this guy. And I got to be honest, when I read this, and Chris was the one that tuned me up and made me aware of what they found in his blood alcohol system. I mean, I, it's not a surprise when you have an amphetamine level that's 10 times above normal levels in his bloodstream. It's not a surprise when you hear about this kind of stuff that was going on in his system. Unfortunately, it's, it's not a surprise that, he, that his plane crashed. He wasn't, of, he wasn't of right mind and right body. And um, I got to be honest, I don't feel as bad. I felt really bad when he... You remember that. Oh, I, yeah, I do. I, I, do I was feel Because yeah. Roy Halladay was a hell of a pitcher on some pretty bad Blue Jays teams and only really started to see some, you know, uh, see some success when he finally got traded to the Phillies, won the... was part of a World Series winning team for the 2008 Philadelphia Phillies, I believe when they beat the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series and Halliday, Halliday threw a no-no in postseason play, threw a perfect game in, in uh, postseason play. And, you know, I'm just thinking, well, he's finally getting his just desserts. Well, now the de- desserts are a little tainted, in my opinion, after I heard what you told me and then I did some research. But I'm not as sad now. I, f- I mean, that's a terrible thing to say. And the Halliday family is still in mourning because of the loss of their father and husband and son and whatever. But me personally, as a sports fan and a fan of Roy Halliday, I'm not so disappointed anymore. I know exactly how you feel. I really do. And you know what? I always remember that that was episode 50 uh, yeah. of ours of Unscripted. That was in 2017. It was our first year doing this. And episode number 50 called Doc. I always remember that. And it really did bother you a lot. And, you know, I wasn't very happy about it either. And, you know, he was known as a guy that worked really hard. Yeah. First guy at the park. And, and you know, he'd be there, you know, he'd have time off and he'd be there at six in the morning to do stuff. It was, you know, a hardworking guy. But then he gets high and does stunts on an aircraft that he's owned for a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's, you know, that's interesting to have that much in your system to, I think you have to have a gradual sort of slippery slope to get to that point. That sounds a lot like uh, I've heard a, a lot of wrestlers over the years have had issues with painkillers, especially. And so, you know, it, it's always a grad. Nobody just goes from no painkillers or no amphetamines or anything to just like taking right. a ton. Like it's like, oh, got to build up a tolerance. Yeah, I'm a bit sore. And so I'm going to start. I just whatever. I'm just taking Advil. No big deal. And then you get something stronger. And then eventually you get to where you're taking 10 times and you're mixing stuff and you don't even think about it. It's I because I have to imagine he wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to go, go get high and then do stunts. It to me, this indicates at those levels, this indicates what I've seen firsthand with wrestlers mm-hmm. where they're just, they have built up to this and this is just part of life. He wasn't thinking I'm going to get high and do this. 
he's just like that all the time. This is just what he takes. And I know I'm speculating, full disclosure, but I've seen it a lot. And so I think he was just, that was just his life. And so to him, that was his baseline. That was him being sober almost in his head. Right. Right. You know what I, you know what yep, I mean? Exactly. So in fairness, I don't think he was like, aha, I'm going to get high. But at the same time, whether he had the drugs in the system or not, that just makes it worse. But to be doing stunts, they said some of those stunts, he was coming within five feet of the water. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he's, you know, he was going just insanely steep up and insanely steep down and just, just, he was stunting. He was just kind of being a jackass. Yeah. And you hate to say that, but I have to say, you know, I believe in people getting what they deserve. If he was just completely innocent, yeah, you, your heart breaks. But when you see that he was doing all this stuff, it's, it does make it hard. And that's, oh. that's just us being honest. It right. really does. It It makes it hard to have full sympathy for him. He was only 40 and he seemed like a good guy and he worked hard and he was a hero to Blue Jays fans and to Phillies fans and he was uh, he was really, really great at what he did and it was a real shame. But uh, he fucked up and he has had to pay the ultimate price. Cool. So, you know, we can't exactly make it worse for him, but it, it does take some of the sheen off and it's just uh, adding tragedy to tragedy, unfortunately. Well said. We've got to run on this um, 494th episode of Unscripted. A lot of interesting things that we talked about, some disappointing things, and uh, some real eye-openers. This has been, um, again, the, the, to find out, you know, again, we all, not we, or maybe we, I don't know, I felt when I heard that when this happened back in November of 17 that he had died, what the N NTSB is talking about, that he had died of blunt force trauma and drowning. But how he got to there is the surprising point. And um, I, I am, you know, uh, <clears throat> I remember my father having a talk with my sister years ago about bringing a guy home. And the guy that you'd have thought would have been a perfect guy to bring home to your father would have been a Roy Halladay. Hard worker, good guy, never been in trouble. Obviously, he's got a skill. He's got the desire and the passion to make that skill and these dreams come to fruition. And to end it in a nightmare like this, the, the thing about it to me is his wife, Brandy, made his Hall of Fame accept, acceptance speech for him. Obviously, he wasn't here. And, and, you know, the question I would have, I guess is did Mrs. Halliday know about this? She never mentioned it, obviously, and you, you, you wouldn't expect her to, but I listened to her Hall of Fame induction speech for her husband, and it was awesome. She had people in tears. What does this do for the family? The family's probably still, three years later, or coming up on three years later, probably still isn't totally over the fact that their father, husband, dad, son, is not with us anymore. And this is just like pouring, to me, it'd be like pouring salt in an open wound to the Halliday family to find that their son had these habits. And to this extent, 10 times over, I know I've done some silly, stupid things, made some horrible decisions. But this, I, again, I, I can't overemphasize this enough, and I don't want to get too dramatic, and I want to put a wrap to this show because we have to get to uh, Free Forum Friday, and we've got things to talk about. But this really hurt when it happened in November of 17 because of my 
in a weird way, my connection to a very good baseball player and what I thought was a very good person in general. And he probably still is a person, generally a good person in general is what I'm trying to spit out. But after hearing this, this takes some of the this takes some of the shine that I had for Roy Halladay and it and it puts it on a back burner and and for me that's not a good thing because you know I love sports heroes and and my life has been dedicated to watching these guys and watching them do the voodoo that they do on ball fields around North America and when you hear a good guy have a dark side like this that certainly takes some of the shine off it for me we got to run i could go on forever but we've got to get going and i know that we've got free form friday coming up next a great way to end the week of another great week of shows here on unscripted we'll get to that right after i put the bow on this one but again for episode 494 we thank everybody for your contributions you're listening to us you're you're doing what we're asking you to do in regard to subscribing to our 18 different social media avenues. And so I truly appreciate that and hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.